ahead. Spoilers ahead. Taller, taller, we must build it till we reach the sky! Nothing lesser will do! Architecture is the supreme expression of the human soul, and there is no other symbol so far-reaching, so powerful, so fell I mean representative of the dedication to <laughs> art and skill that is architecture! Kneel before the monument of life itself! Feel the weight of that towering design. You shall know the depths of the state of being by gazing on this... Di- what, what's that? Safety precautions? Well, I, I suppose we could... What? Working fire sprinklers? I'm sure that there must be some of that... I- I- emergency exits? These are mere plebeian details that would merely distract from the very... Di- oh, all right, you can have one. Two 135-story stairways, all right? Will that appease your pointless queries? This huge monolith will... Can I what? Can I get to the point? Well, yes! The point is Max Mike Movies. We're near the end of our series on disaster porn, and what better way to penultimate than by scrutinizing that 1974 classic Towering Inferno? We sure can't think of a way. Helping me along is host numero uno, that project manager of mirth, Max 138th Floor Levine. Say something tall, Max. Well, I'd like to. Hey, why is this window? (laughs) And I, I am the custodian of comedy, Mike. Clean that up, would you? Loose. It's going to be a big, big show, and we need to get to it. But first, it is time to hear back from you in the form of our... Poll question. Last week, Mask... I got the first thing I get wrong is your name. <laughs> well, it is a complicated name. There's so many letters in it. Yes, yeah. Anyway, last week, Max, the first name and the name of the show that we've done for 230 episodes, so you'd think <laughs> by now. Yes. Max asked you to tell us what your favorite documentary film was and answers there were. Mike Dans, the weasel, gave us quote, "My recent favorite is probably Stutz, which is on Netflix." My long-standing favorite is probably Jiro Dreams of Sushi, end quote. Jiro is indeed a great film. I haven't seen Stutz, but thanks, Reeds. Maybe we'll look it up. Next up, Tyler Stewart had this to say, quote, I have a fondness for Bat Kid Begins. There are so many. This is how this event totally screwed the pooch, Fire Festival Woodstock 2, and this is the opposite of that. This is about a group doing something fantastic, keeping to their mission and just knocking it out of the park. I also so cute. I also liked 20 Feet from Stardom, end quote. Thanks, Tyler. I don't know either of them. I looked up Bat Kid Begins to find out what it was about, and that did sound nice. Jamie Kleinert posted, quote, Landfill Harmonic. I show it to most of my classes every year, end quote. For those who are wondering, it's about a performance on instruments made from trash. I looked it up. Thanks, Jamie. Dr. Rebecca Pelkey stated, quote, I make most of my classes watch Horror Noir, a history of black horror, so I've seen it several times and still enjoy it. Another is Rumble, the Indians who rocked the world, about the impact of Native artists on music throughout American history. Both really nicely produced documentaries. And one last one, The Cats of Mirakitani, about a New York City street artist and internment camp survivor, end quote. Sounds like a great trio. Thanks, Becca. Val Coons, producer of the Q Footsteps podcast, Q Footsteps, on one of these same channels, wrote 
Quote, I think my go-to would be Woodstock. Another one is The Story of Anvil. If you've never seen it, find it. It's the real Spinal Tap. And Nanook of the North. It's a documentary, it's a silent movie, and it's incredibly moving. End quote. I do remember seeing the Woodstock one. Naked people! Mud! Thanks, Val. <laughs> Have you ever seen the Anvil one? No, the but I do know that if Hammer die, Anvil die. That is very sad. Yes. Yeah. I think a hundred years Zaymot. ago I saw Nanook of the North, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll be I'll be the Tomax to your Zaymot. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Hoffman said, quote, When I was five years old, I was lucky enough to be taken to Colonial Williamsburg on a school trip, a.k.a. no parents. The reception center played a movie for us on arrival, led by Jack Lord of Hawaii Five-O, telling the oh, story no. of the town. Awesome stuff, end quote. Yeah, when I think American history, I think Jack... I think Jack, yeah. I, what, Bookham, Hezekiah, Murder One. I think Jack Lord built the first White House out of coconuts. I would not be surprised. Thanks, Nick, and, and his hair. Dave Mackman, in a very brief statement, gives us, quote, Ha ha, I find myself wondering whether they still have the What's Boston slideshow at the Prudential, end quote. Couldn't tell oh. you. I've only been to the bar. Thanks, Dave. Regan McStravick offered, quote, Hearts of Darkness, end quote. Ah, about the oh, making yeah. of Apocalypse Now. Ooh. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, Ooh. powerful indeed. Oh, oh, oops, he added, quote, also Lost in La Mancha, end quote. Another making of film for those. Oh, that is about um, Terry oh, the... Gilliam's long time trying to make the Don Quixote film. It never quite happened. It did, but sort apparently of? not like the way he wanted Anyway, thanks, uh, Regan. Adam Mark gives us three. Quote, The Smartest Guys in the Room, 2005, on Enron, Amy, 2015, on Amy Winehouse, and Firefest, 2019. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What's that one about? That one's about the Fire Festival. It was this absolute disaster. It was supposed to be like a, a modern Woodstock, only like really luxurious on an island with fabulous accommodations. Is there a big glass big... onion in the middle? There was not a big glass <laughs> onion, although there would have been had they thought about it. <laughs> And it was an absolute, it was a ripoff. It was, a, it turned out basically to be a scam. You know, you the luxury meals were cheese sandwiches in styrofoam boxes. People were sleeping in tents. Most oh. of the acts never showed up. It was a disaster. And it was arranged by some celebrity who's, who I've forgotten completely. Mm. But the documentary is a, he's a hoot. Ah, well, thanks, Adam. Oh, kooky, kooky, Dave. You snuck but, in another one. Quote, if you mean real documentaries, I am sadly uneducated. Ken Burns' Jazz is probably the only significant true documentary I've seen all the way through, so I suppose that has to be my favorite. I did enjoy Samuel Hawley's series on YouTube about the Imjin War, but did not stick it through. Read and loved the book, but it is too long, and I seem not as tolerant of nonfiction on video. If you include fictionalized accounts that are aimed at storytelling more than truth, I love them all. The Crown, Tokyo Vice, The Offer, D. Kaiserin, John Adams, and even movies like Patton, Hoffa, or W. And then there's... This is Spinal Tap, end quote. Well, he always has something cool to say. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Up where it's cold, Vince sent us an old-fashioned telex from Canada. Uh, uh, thank you, wind. From the Vince, wind quote, just broke his leg. <laughs> from Vince, quote, I love documentaries. I've made a few. One with Mike. Ah, uh, yes. Werner Herzog's Into the Abyss is about a young guy on death row in Texas, and it really stuck with me years after seeing it. 
The guy 100% murdered some kids for a car he wanted to steal, but instead of telling his story directly, Herzog interviewed his family and everyone around him, and you are sort of left with the feeling this guy had no idea what he did was wrong because no one around him his entire life seemed to know the difference between right and wrong either. He is executed, and Herzog, who is against the death penalty, cannot say the guy deserves better. End quote. Last point first. Yikes, that is dark. First point last. Yes, I am indeed in a documentary, so of course, The Picnic is my favorite documentary ever. Thanks, Vince. Yay! How about you, Max? This was your baby. How would you diaper it? <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for putting that image in my head. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There are a lot of documentaries I really like. One of the ones that just hit me the hardest was probably uh, Bowling for Columbine. Okay which was the first Michael Moore direct uh, documentary I'd seen. I never did see Roger and Me. Yeah. But uh, that was just really powerful, except for the end where he ambushes Charlton Heston. Oh. Yeah, which is... I, I have no problem with, say, ambushing a, a gun nut. Yeah. But Charlton Heston was very old and not entirely there at this point, and it looks like he's bullying an old man. Ah. So it doesn't come across. But that was the one that always really... I think that's the one that affected me the most. What about you? I So in younger days, I never liked documentaries because like, that's boring, eh, real stuff. Who cares about real stuff? I want to see like <laughs> swords and guns and stuff and spaceships. And now... Thank God that has, that's changed. <laughs> yeah, because of this series. Um, I have a really sharp interest in art forgery, and there uh, are lots of them. But one of my favorites is called Beltraki. And it's about a German man who, this is fairly recent. I think he was caught in the early 2000s. And uh, the number of fakes that he got sold, numbers in the hundreds, but nobody knows how many, and he ain't telling. <laughs> and I absolutely adore his attitude when asked, and a lot of them say this, you know, do you feel bad about what you did? And he's like, no. <laughs> There's like no hesitation, nothing, just no. <laughs> And I see both sides. I truly do, because the art world is so corrupt and so bad. And I've watched that one a few times. But there's a couple of other uh, documentaries. The Wrecking Crew. I adore The Wrecking Crew. If you have any interest in music or the music industry, I can't recommend The Wrecking Crew more, because it will show you amazing musicians you've never heard of, and yet you've heard all their music. And the last one was a documentary on someone who nobody knew was a photographer slash after she died. And quite honestly, if she'd had her choice, she never would have been known. And that is called Finding Vivian Meyer. It's somebody who bought a storage container in New York and in it were all of these negatives, some undeveloped film and prints from somebody no one had ever heard of. And it turns out she was actually a brilliant street photographer. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I kind okay, of do cool. like documentaries a lot. So, but anyway, well done, everyone. You always exceed yep. our hopes and dreams. So why not do so again? Especially Mike's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not hard, but you still exceed them because this week we would dearly love to know what was your favorite Hollywood actor comeback? Who had disappeared from Tinseltown radar for years, then just popped right back into the stardom of your hearts? Let us know in ways that would take too long to explain for now, because now we must turn to... The Facts. Budget. 14 million, which for the time was well, a lot that's, of cash. That's more than the Poseidon Adventure by quite a bit. See below. Take. Any guesses? See, this was a pretty serious one. I'm going to go with 90 million. 
believe it or not, you're not even close. It was the year's most highest grossing film. It was 203 million. Wow. That is a lot more cash. Well a, done. Or is it that, medium rare? That is a lot of $1974. Yeah. This movie was inspired by two separate novels, though it's not an adaptation of either of them. Both novels were inspired by the building of the World Trade Center. And then this movie sent one viewer home with the seeds of a dream that would be the inspiration for his novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, which would, in turn, be the basis for Die Hard. So there. Okay. Or huh. something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were things about this movie made me think about Die Hard. If, not only, if nothing else, the shots of the external building and crawling around through air ducts. Yeah. And now you know why. I kept waiting for, for Paul Newman to go, come out to the coast, we'll have a few laughs. Yeah, but this... Unfortunately, this movie is Alan Rickman free, which is yeah, probably yeah. better for him. <laughs> probably. Steve McQueen, the man of men, did most of his own stunts, including jumping from the helicopter to the top of the burning building. Oh, good Lord. This is not with the approval, the approval of producer Irwin Allen, but not to be outdone, Newman did most of his own stunts, too. <laughs> of course he did. Of course he did. Life imitates art imitating life. Seems at one point a real fire broke out on set and Steve McQueen, <laughs> unrecognized in the beginning, started helping actual firefighters put out the flames. When he was noticed, the fireman stated, quote, my wife is not going to believe this, end quote. McQueen's response, quote, neither is mine, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> there were 1,000 real firefighters hired for various uses on this Good film. Good Lord. 1,000. Um... Who was protecting the city while they were all out there uh, hanging were, out on the set? All at the same, and they were they were they were uh, for their what do you call those things? Uh, consultants, Max. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. Sure. Steve isn't petty exactly, but apparently he did count lines and was not at all happy that co-star Paul Newman had twelve more lines than did he. And so well, they, which of the two of you boys have actually won an Oscar? Mm. Yeah, and um, they would even the lines out to keep them happy. Yeah. Yikes. This movie was an Academy Award winner for Best yes, Cinematography, was. Best Song, the annoyingly 70s We May Never Love Like This Again, although to give them credit, they only do it once. <laughs> what is it with Irwin Allen and Maureen McGovern? I don't know. This is the second movie of his, that we've seen of his, or that he's involved in, that has a Maureen McGovern as the haunting love theme from. And Best Film Editing. Hmm. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Fred Astaire. Best Art Director, Best Sound and Music by John Blowed Up Real Good Williams. <laughs> Unbelievably, this is the only Oscar nomination for Fred Astaire. Uh, he, did win, uh, he did win one. Nope. Yes, he did. He Well, he was awarded a special uh, Academy that's Award. That's different. Yeah. I'm expecting ours any day now. Oh, yeah. We've done so much for Hollywood. We have. I'm looking at you, uh, Rogue Warfare Theory. And Deep House. <laughs> and Deep House, yep. But what is up with Zangief's ass? Aha! What is up? Well done. We finally I got worked that back it in. in. <laughs> yep. Very subtle. Not at all shoehorned. Irwin Allen, going for realistic startled takes, sometimes fired a real gun into the ceiling to get the reactions he was after. What oh, a guy. Great. Yeesh. This was the first of very few and rare co-productions between major studios. We're not talking that list of five or six lesser-known ones that are so common today. Fox and Warner came together for this behemoth. 
Oh. Yeah. This movie came out the same year as another big disaster film we covered in this series, Earthquake. Some theaters, with a bit of humor, released them side by side, calling them the Shake and Bake double feature. (laughs) Oh, God! (laughs) What a, but my God, that'd be like you settle in for the day. That's like six hours worth of movie. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, Newman and McQueen got the exact same salary, which is to be expected. Yeah. One million dollars up front and 10% 10% of the profits, which... Um, Damn! Yeah, wow, good deal. That paid for the house in Malibu. Yep. There was some deleted footage that explained that there was only one of the three scenic elevators working, which explains why they were only using one to escape. Oh. I guess mm. those parts are coming on Tuesday. Uh, that's a deeper. William Holden, an arguably big name in this film, described it as lousy. <laughs> <coughs> Ouch. We have two Bradys in this film... In the blink and you'll miss him category, we have Mayor Ramsey, played by Jack Collins, who is Mike Brady's boss, Mr. Phillips, and oh. the I never look right at the camera, Mike Lookinland, who was and will always be Bobby Brady. But who is he in this? He's Kid Phil. You didn't notice him either, did you? No. The Kid Phil, the boy, that's the Bobby the- Brady. Oh, no kidding. Didn't notice that at all. It's like he just literally never looks at the camera, and it was not till the I, end you of never the film. Get to, yeah, you never see his face. It wasn't until the end of the film. It was like, is that, that's not Mike Lucanland, is it? Well, he I know only he has, has a like brother. three lines, and, too. No, it's the same year that the Brady Bunch ended, 1974, wow. and it totally is Bobby Brady. So Bobby okay. Brady saves the building. <laughs> okay. Yeah, or something. Well, yeah. that's enough of that. Unless, Max, do you have anything to add here? Uh, no, I mean, I want to talk something about... Uh, the, how many Oscars are in this movie? Eh, this but we'll tons. get to that. Yeah. We'll do that when we start off with the actors. But now, the plot. Dateline, San Francisco. A brand new building is being dedicated and officially opened. It is the tallest building in the world, standing at 138 stories and is made of glass and steel, as one makes them. There's to be a huge ceremony and all of Hollywood will be there. On the top of the building, a huge party is thrown for local dignitaries, the builder and designer. Down below, the architect is just finding out that some of his guidelines were not followed. Substandard wiring is found in primary systems, likely done by the builder's son-in-law as a cost-cutting measure. Problem is, there's already a blowout of sorts, which they spot just in time. Unfortunately, another short occurs high up on the 81st floor in a storage closet. It causes a spark, then some smoldering, and then, unnoticed, a fire. While the architect runs about trying to get things in order and other things shut down, the party is in full swing. Suddenly, someone finally notices that the 81st floor is indeed on fire and the lower parts of the building are evacuated. When this is made known to the builder on the 135th, he says, evacuating them is unnecessary as the fire can't possibly spread further. Call the fire department, he says, and don't bother me with details. They're called, they come, and the fire, even with their involvement, leaps free of its confines and attacks the rest of the building. Soon, evacuation is a necessity, as the fire chief says so. Thing is, it's too late. System after system fails, while the architect and fire department race around trying to save as many people as possible. Elevators fail. Flames leap higher. Rescue attempts get more and more desperate until, finally, people are ziplined across open space to the closest building, and then even that fails. The final answer? Blow the million-plus gallon water tanks under the roof in hopes that this will put the fire out. Works like a charm, and most of the remaining cast is saved. Hooray! Hooray! 
The film. So Max, boy. Yeah. You did you didn't see this when it came out, did you? No, I have never seen this before. <gasps> You've never seen The Towering Inferno? Nope. And let's face it, they didn't make it easy, did they? Um, no, they did not make it easy for us. This was a really hard movie to find. Mike actually had to go onto eBay and put down hard American currency. It was $6. To, <laughs> all right, slightly squishy American currency to buy a DVD yeah. of this thing. Although, interestingly, um, when I watched it, it has this very strange letterboxing, which kind of made me wonder, yeah. is this a Chinese ripoff or something? Cause I was wondering, because I also noticed that the font for the credits looked really made for TV. Well, well let's get back to that phrase, because it's going to pop up more than once, at least in my notes it is. But speaking of made for TV, let's talk about the actors, and we might as well start at the top. Let's start Holy with crap, the cast in this. <laughs> well, you, we got William freaking Holden. Who wanted to Sunset. be first? Huh? <laughs> Who wanted to be first? And well, as he should have been. Mm. This is a guy won an Oscar. He was in for Starlog Seventeen. He was in Network. He was in Sunset Boulevard. This guy was Hollywood gold. Was. Yeah, that's the thing. He is not in 1974. He ain't. No, and this ain't no Sunset Boulevard. But as a grumpy old man, he makes a fine grumpy old man. He does. A, he does a decent job. Yeah. And you know, he, he as a guy who's flawed but basically decent, you see it. And there's Faye Dunaway, who I was sitting there going, "Wow!" So we have now seen her hook up with both Paul Newman and Robert Redford. So she's been with both Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Steve McQueen. And in uh, what movie? Was because she was? way way back we did the Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I want to say that she's nearly wasted. Her part is so small. She's often more window dressing than an actual character. And she's wearing a dress that, um, achoo! Oh, good. There's some tissue handy. Yeah, pretty much. And it's and like, you know, cut down to her navel in at least one, in one, uh, one of the outfits yeah. she's wearing. And I got to say, she's a really good actor. I'm kind of sorry that we don't see more of her, but that it's not her fault. So most of the women in this movie are not given very much to do, but let's face it. This is not about... I don't want to spend too much time talking about the acting because the acting isn't the point. No, but we I, I still like to go through it. And besides, yeah. I made notes on almost everyone. Okay, okay. And so it, we can it, go through we the lesser Paul ones if you want first. Like there Susan can, Blakely. She's uh, there. She? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Jones. Jennifer Jones, another Oscar winner, by the way, for this. Yeah. And again, another. Um, not exactly at the peak of her career, actor. No, she won for she won an Oscar for the song of Bernadette about thirty years before this movie was made. Well, then again, she's supposed to be going with Fred Astaire, who's not exactly a spring chicken. So I yeah, get it. That's Fred fine. Astaire is twenty years older than she is in this movie. Yeah, because that's Hollywood. Yeah. Everything. And Fred Astaire, what is he? What is he doing in this movie? Uh, getting his first Oscar nomination. <laughs> I hope he got a, a decent sized paycheck because. I think of all the performances, his the only is the only one with any real nuance to it. It's just there's not much of it, and then suddenly his subplot pops up, and it's just distracting. It's near the end where it's like, oh, finally we're getting to some action. Oh, but over here, uh, yeah. Oh, we now know he's a con man. Thanks for bringing that up. Literally three quarters of the way through the film, you know, I had it's... not seen the movie, and the first thing I thought when I saw him with the cab driver, yeah, in the opening scene, the first thing I thought was. Wow, a cab ride's only 95 cents? Really? And the second thing I thought was, this guy's a con artist. Oh, see, I just thought he's really cheap. Um, but whatever. Um, 
We have other people in here. Richard Chamberlain, who I did not recognize uh, because his beard's missing as Anjin San. No, he, yes, he plays. but you notice his face doesn't move anymore. <laughs> I actually found that he came across very slimy and somewhat intense here and there. So I think he does fine with again the part yeah. that he's got, he's, which is not much. Nobody has much of a part in this. You know? We have Robert Vaughn. Is there. Robert Vaughn? Yes, and uh, Robert Wagner, who is there oh, and there. But here's the thing about Robert Wagner: there's something just TV about Robert Wagner. He, yeah, he, he really just gives the whole "I made for TV, love you" vibe to the whole thing. He does, and we're we're going to come back to that again. Gregory Sierra is barely there and utterly uh, wasted because he's a yep. very good actor and. Yeah, he Made plays him as Chano from Barley, Barney Miller. And the sad thing is he was actually looking forward to this part because it's the first part that he got where he's not playing a notably playing a Puerto Rican. They don't make any reference to his race or, or his culture or anything. And he's like, good, I just want to be a guy. Can I just be a guy? And every other part was like, look how Puerto Rican he is. Yeah, he's a bartender in this. Yeah, and he's he's just anybody. Because you, know, you know those Puerto Ricans always tending bar? Yeah, that's what he liked about the part is it wasn't... Yeah. Yep, um, nothing's true. Yeah. Dabney Coleman, I think a he has very, three yeah. lines. <laughs> yeah, he's in one scene, but he's very much there. And what a waste of Dabney Coleman. Yeah, seriously. There's a guy who's just so good at playing sleaze bags, and he's not. He's just uninteresting. Yeah, and um, we have to mention him because he's Yeah, there. I'm afraid we OJ. do have to point out. Yeah, there is, in fact, <laughs> this movie has an honest-to-gosh murderer in it. Wasn't he acquitted, though? Yes, but he, well, he was acquitted in the criminal saying, court, but well, he was convicted in civil court. I didn't do it, but if I did, it would go yeah. something like this. So clearly yeah, he's in this movie <laughs> looking for the real killers who are hiding in the building somewhere. My glove, my glove, he took my glove. Yeah, O.J. Um, friggin' Simpson, who but, as an actor is a heck of a football player. But, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this, I, we I, have to give him kudos because... He saves the cat. He does. <laughs> there is a cat in this movie, a really cute little uh, tabby. Yep. And I, I will also say the cat doesn't do anything like cats do in movies, which is hide or be really hard to get. OJ just sort of says, oh, look, there's a cat. Grab. That yeah. is the last we see of either of those characters until the last shot of the movie. Yeah. And then it's like. I saved the cat. Here, Fred Astaire, you have a cat now. <laughs> oh, here's the cat of your dead fiance. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, she wasn't his fiance. She he was. Uh, she yeah. was just somebody he was trying to rook out of money and then fell in love with. Well, she fell in love with him, and yep. we don't know why. Why? Yeah. He because says, he's Fred Astaire, and he danced with her. That's true. Come on, <laughs> Fred Astaire could steal all my money, and if he danced with me, I would still marry him. Yeah, that uh, that vertical sex that they call dancing. Yeah, um, and then, of course, we have to come to the two biggies. We've got Paul yeah. Newman. Paul friggin' Newman. Who is concerned, and he's focused, and it's a decent, if not outstanding, performance by one of Hollywood's golden boys. I mean, yeah, he doesn't disappoint. A, yeah, but again, he has not. He is a standard. Uh, I'm outraged. <laughs> you guys have screwed up my great work. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be outraged. For the whole yeah. movie, except when I'm with you, <laughs> Faye Dunaway, then I'm going to be cute. Yeah. And I'm outraged! And we're going to do it! Okay. Yeah! Uh, Steve McQueen, he yeah. is always in control. As I said, he's a man's man, the coolest of the cool. Also, I thought a good performance, just not really amazing because not him. Nope. It's either it's, the scriptwriter or the director. Again, and, the, 
the star of the movie is the building and the fire. <laughs> and it has almost as much facial movement as Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> I was going to say, I find the building far more expressive than Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> Poor Richard Chamberlain. Poor, yeah, He's like well. a duck. Uh, <laughs> that's a deeper... So well, there's there's the acting in this film, and yeah. th there's tons more, but it's definitely oh, yeah. and the rest. It's just even more and the rest than Earthquake, which is saying a lot. It really is. This is. You're, I understand why that you try to do this in a disaster movie. They want to make you care about the characters. Yeah, you have to be emotionally engaged, or otherwise it's just watching. You know, watching fire. And yeah. you can do that with a, with another device called a fireplace. So it's yeah. <laughs> not, that, not that interesting. You can even find one on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. So the cast, it's fine. Um, there's, I don't think anybody embarrasses themselves. I know that uh, uh, William Holden said they thought the film was lousy. And I, having read some stuff into this, I wouldn't be a bit surprised to find out that that's a lot of sour grapes because he didn't get top billing. Uh -huh. uh, and even with Newman and McQueen, they had to stagger their names yeah. so you could read, like they put one of them on the right <laughs> on top and the other one on the left on the uh -huh. bottom so that you could say, well, if you read top to bottom, Paul Newman comes first, but if you read left to right, Steve McQueen comes first because... Oh, dear. Yeah. Because you go... Everybody was very professional. They were worried about that rivalry, which was started by McQueen, by the way, because Newman oh. was a more established uh, actor, and McQueen kept feeling like he was constantly trying to catch up. But apparently everybody was played nice, except for counting lines. And yeah, so yeah, yeah acting's fine. It's just, you really, I don't know, did you care about anybody? Uh, Besides I, the building? <laughs> I kind of cared about Fred Astaire. I, was, I really didn't want to see him get killed. And other than that, not much. I mean, yeah. one of the problems I had is any scene where there were the kids, the two kids, the, the, the adorable little girl and Bobby Bra and Mike Brady or whatever, that, whichever it's Brady Mike he was. Mike Lucanlanda or Bobby Brady. Yeah, Bobby Brady. <laughs> you knew nothing was going to happen because it's 1974 and they hadn't gotten around to where you let the kids die. Well, the two things I thought when watching the film having to do with that was look f if you're in ever in any kind of big horrible disaster look for your totems if you see a cat or kids stay yeah. near them and you'll be fine yeah. strap <laughs> the child to your body <laughs> yeah. nail the cat to you whatever it takes and you'll live because there's that one point where the woman that's with them is and she's the I think she's the one that's the uh, girlfriend yeah. to yep, Fred Astaire um at one point, I'm like, the kid, they're going down this, this sequence, which is hauntingly uh, familiar, because it feels a lot so like the staircase scene in Earthquake, from yeah. in Earthquake, which, to be fair, came out the same year. Um, they get, first, Paul Newman goes down, then the kids are like, we can't get, the kid, what, the boy can get down, Bobby yeah. Brady can get down, the girl can't, so Paul Newman has to go back up, put her piggyback, go back down, and now it's the lady's turn, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is... This is that whole... That was um, tense. When she was climbing down, that's where you don't know what's going to happen. No, because the kids are already down, so yeah. you're no longer safe. You have moved away from the totem. <laughs> there are a number of scenes that are very tense in this movie. There are some that worked really well. What's one other one that you thought worked really well? Honestly, when they're actually fighting the fire the first time, okay. and they're, tr they're struggling with the hose, and the flames keep coming out, and parts of the ceiling start falling down... Mm -hmm. It's like, oh crap! Are any are these guys? Are any of them going to get out? Yeah. And when the the water is released into the uh, ballroom, when they yeah. blow up the tanks, 
Yeah. And like when Fred Astaire gets ripped loose, I'm like, oh no, there, that's it. Shoot, he's dead. And then he I, wasn't. I when I sat there, well, because by then we've already seen that his girlfriend's fallen out the elevator. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if you ever do this watching these disaster films, but I do kind of play a mental game: who's going to buy it and who's not going to. Well, buy you it. have to. That's kind of part part of the whole thing. Is which which of the ma- first off, they're going to kill some of the major stars, right? But not all. So who lives? Well, in this case, they. I mean, they kill off her. Is it Jennifer Jones? Yes. Yes. They do kill off Jennifer Jones. To be fair, I'd never heard of her. Mm. I didn't know her. I guess she is a big actor. I just I didn't. She know was. Her. Um, they originally were going to let Gregory Sierra's character live, but then oh. somebody came in because they were going to kill off. I think it was Steve McQueen. Oh. Okay. And they came in and said, "Yeah, um, Irwin, you have this reputation for killing off your main characters. Do you want to be known as that guy?" And he's like, "Oh no, I see your point. So we'll kill off the bartender instead, and that way we can keep." Because I honestly thought Steve McQueen was going. When they come to that yeah. point where Dabney Coleman and he are talking, and he's like, I need somebody to go back into the building and put bombs on the water tank, and there's only two people in the entire city that are capable of doing that. That's Smith oh, and you. Well, where's Smith? You see that bag over there? Hey, no, he's off in the burn ward. Yeah, he's. Yeah. And when he says, you know, okay, how do I get back down? And Coleman just looks at him, like, okay. Yeah. It's a suicide mission. He knows yeah. that going in. And I th- yeah, I also thought, all right, Newman's going to live and McQueen's going to die. By the way, I think it's somewhat telling that we never ref- that you and I have not referred to any of them by their character <laughs> names because they they aren't. We just I just thought of no. them as Steve McQueen, Paul Newman the whole way through. I thought of, oh look, there's OJ Simpson the security guard. There's Robert Wagner. And it's hard to do in these films, especially when you decide, this is one of those movie posters. This used to be a sign of a bad movie. You'd have this movie, and you'd have this big image and the title, and at the bottom were all these little boxes with little pictures of who yeah. was in the film. And if you had to do that with your cast, generally the result was not going to be good. Yeah. Um, and this is, would have been one of those films, because everyone would have wanted to been pictured. And that's just the people that I mentioned. There's still a whole bunch of other actors in there that have parts. But, you know, and bringing up even the mayor is a stretch because he and his wife show up literally at the end. Another pause. We're going to pause in the attempted action so we can talk to these people. Yeah. Which we haven't talked to the entire film, but now we have to find out that they're sad. Oh, (laughs) They're real sad. Yeah. Yeah. So there are some points that I think the tension works pretty well. Um, I would like to say that I thought of them as small islands in a grand archipelago of dullness. Um, I didn't think it was dull. And it I actually thought for, given especially how long this movie is, it is two hours and 40 minutes. Two hours, 44, 44. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Part, I'm sorry, are there any more nits you would like to pick? Oh, yes. Lots. <laughs> but none of yours. They're all the films. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, leave um, my nits alone. Thank you very much. Oh my, getting me excited. Maybe after the show. I felt kind of bad about, you know, when we were talking about Carlos the bartender. You did, yeah. uh, a, a name! You yeah. knew the name of one of the characters! I did. Gregory Sierra was the only <laughs> character's name I could really pay attention to. The boy's name was Phil. Eh. Uh, oh, okay. And the girl's name was like Angela? Uh, you Angelina? Might be right. Something, Something like, like it, that. It began with an A, I'm pretty Angeline. sure. Angeline, she's on the billboards! Oh, there you go. No, it's not her. No, no. When they. The helicopter is fired. They've got somebody up there firing a harpoon gun, <laughs> which apparently they just carry around uh, oh, to, oh, yeah. to anchor a line to use a breacher breaches buoy. Yeah. 
No one's, you know, everyone's like, okay, get out of the way. No one says to Carlos, hey, move, because <laughs> that thing hits the wall like six feet from his head. Well, to be fair, though, luckily he's nearby because he actually is able to grab the rope. Yeah, yeah. Although if it's windy as they said it was, I'm surprised he wasn't then just yoinked right out the window. I'm kind of surprised that everyone didn't just get yeeted out the window. They're 138 <laughs> floors up, yeah. and the, they've also... Apparently, no one uses safety glass in this building, which well, has been around since before you say before night since nineteen nineteen. No. They can break these twenty foot windows with a chair. Well, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say not only is it not safety glass, I'm amazed the glass stayed up that long. Yeah, it's mighty thin, and of course, I, it's... I was thinking that building is going to be handcocking those windows out <laughs> all over the place. It's a little reference to some Boston history, the John Hancock building. When they redid the windows, they there's a whole thing. If they, they screwed oh, it no. up. And, it was the original windows that popped uh, out. They would pop out of the frames. And these windows weighed like, what, 600 pounds. And they would they, I, the miracle is no one got hurt. I don't know how. I don't either. They, I think one car got cut in half. Because like the Hancock's like 60, 70-something floors. It's a yeah. tall building, and it's all glass. They and, hired people... To stand outside with binoculars, watching the windows, and to start screaming in Copley Square if yeah. it looked if they saw one pop out. I don't know what they were expecting people to do. Huh? Look at that. Yeah. Anyway, I, I anyway. thought that would be ha most of San Francisco should have now been covered in glass. Well, I, I want to start with speaking of San Francisco. Hmm? If I was going to put the world's tallest building, where would I put it? Yeah, let's I put it someplace with with a lot of tectonic activity. Yeah, do we have anywhere that's free that's got a major fault <laughs> line? Because that would be a great place to put it. Huh? Yeah, not to mention the fact, you look at the San Francisco skyline, and when they, I don't know, you know, Photoshop or whatever they were doing <laughs> in 1974, the building into it, it's like, wow, does that look bad? Does that not match at all the rest of the city? Well, also, it's sort of like, what is this, the cousin no one talks about? Because it's like, here's the San Francisco skyline, uh, and way over there <laughs> is the building. Like, it's not near anything. No. Although, it's, a, it's obvious when you're at the base of it, it's right in the middle of downtown. So, mm. I don't know how that works, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, it actually the was the, weird. I looked it up. It was the, wasn't the Sheraton, what was it? There was an actual hotel. I said the Hilton. I think it's oh, the San Francisco okay. Hilton that they use for uh, interior shots and stuff like that. Um other things, though, is that this is the 70s, so there will, there's going to be beige, and there's oh, going there. to be a lot of it. On oh, the and, color um, schemes in the offices, <laughs> I don't normally pay a lot of attention to that, but because this is a mixed-use building, there's going to be uh, apartments, there's going to be offices, sure. and it, I don't, and the, the offices are all in, like, vivid orange and yellow. <laughs> it, honestly, it looks like they're already on fire. I honestly was waiting for Robert Morse to pop his head out and start singing about how to succeed in business without really trying. I, all, I kept thinking when uh, Robert Wagner is sleeping with his secretary, because uh, his office has is a bed a, in it. A secretary is not a toy. <laughs> no, my boy, not a toy. Yeah. Um, it, my God, Paul Newman's office slash bedroom. mansion. <laughs> But you go first off. That office was bigger than my house. Yeah, and then he goes in the back, and there's a whole apartment in the back. Yeah, and what does he say? Uh, this is my last day from here on. I'm gonna go into a cabin out in the wilderness. It's like so. Really, you built this entire giant building. You gave yourself 
a floor and now yeah. you're not even staying there? Oh, yeah. come on. Oh, yeah, that was an interesting point. You know, one of the sort of points of contention between him and his girlfriend, Faye Dunaway, is he wants to go and live in a cabin in the woods. Little old <laughs> Paul man. by the window stood. Um, obviously, the same McQueen hopping by, oh, knocking at his door. <laughs> We could do all. Never mind. We could do the whole song on based on this movie. But we'll, um, he wants to go out, and I don't know. We don't even know what he wants to do out there. Live in the wilderness. Live in the wilderness. He's going to team up with Yule Gibbons and eat trees and have some grape nuts and <laughs> yeah. And he wants yeah. Faye Dunaway to come with him, and she has this monster, this this travesty of humanity. Faye Dunaway has just been made managing editor of some publication, and wants her career. Mm. Ooh! My God, how does she sleep at night? Now, admittedly, I... <laughs> she's being given the chance to marry Paul Newman. So, you know... I actually I... like that part of her character, because it's like, good yeah. for her! Yeah, not she actually too... stands up. She says, I don't know, man. I, I This is an incredible opportunity. Yes, I want to marry you. Yeah, I want to have kids. Yeah, I don't. I, I want this job, though. And yeah. it's kind of nice that the thing at the end is, yeah, okay, I'm going to stay too. Yeah, but yeah, I, I there's so few moments in this yeah. film where we get any characterization, and it was nice that there was at least, although later she's literally put in a Kleenex dress, that she's there's some forward thinking at least in her character, if not in her depiction. So although when they're when they're about to go in different directions, she's like, I'll go anywhere with you. I'll go to the North Pole. Or, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, I would like to welcome back a bunch of the computer equipment from Lost in Space, Time Tunnel, and <laughs> Land of the Giants. <laughs> yep. Yep. Huge dials, a lot of sparks. And this best point is when there's there's a malfunction, and OJ Simpson is there flipping switches, and it is plainly obvious that he has no idea what they do. Yep. Nobody does. All I could think is at one point there's this panel, it's all lit up, and he just hits something, and all the lights go off. And then he turns it back on. I, I'm thinking, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? <laughs> I just love because this is like the aesthetic from all of Irwin Allen's 60s science fiction th- yeah. shows. It's like, make sure there's lots of lights blinking in and out of sequence. Lots and lots and lots. <laughs> and there they are. It's this. It's literally the same equipment. So thing welcome struck, back. The thing that struck me at one point is Paul Newman is um, dieharding his way around the air ducts. And yeah. he comes to one that's like supposed to go all the way down the building. And A, it looks, it's like, wow, careful, Paul, don't fall, you'll break the matte painting. <laughs> and all I could think is, this looks like the Krell base in it Forbidden did. Planet. It, it had the same kind of depth of field I- effect. But you know what I will say about it is, it didn't feel like something that wouldn't exist the no, way no. that most ducts do in these films that you can crawl through with small armies that support your yeah. weight that nobody hears you yeah no the aircraft that made sense it would go the the entire almost the entire length of the building it would have to yeah um speaking of the the planning i know we weren't but speaking of the planning i have to ask a major question and yeah. i meant to research this and i didn't but i still am highly skeptical there's a gas line and a skyscraper? What the hell for? Not at the top there, but they, they have, you know, um, stoves. They have living spaces. Electric. Why yeah. would you do that? I don't know. Maybe there's a way around it. Maybe there's a safe way. But, yeah, that uh, you really want to pump a, pump a gas line into a 138-story building? 
and you're gonna have to keep pumping it because it can't. You can't get it'll go so high and then it just won't go any further. So you're gonna have to have pumps every so many floors to keep the pressure going, just like you do with the water. So no, <laughs> among other things, but. That's okay, because it's not really the designer's fault. We find out when the fire first breaks out, it's in a little storage closet, a janitor's closet. Okay, there's there may be some cleaning fluids and stuff in there. Okay, I get that. But it's really the fault of some of the tenants. Although I do question also, would you want an apartment on the 81st floor? God, no. Okay. But the people who are um, using that as office space and, and businesses if they hadn't been manufacturing gasoline, this would Wait never have minute. happened. They weren't. It, it's interesting. Uh, Steve McQueen brings up a point. He's saying, like, what kind of businesses are on there? And they're like, what does that matter? And he yeah. says, yeah, are they? Cl do they use acetone? Do they use flammable materials? Are there any t any uh, uh, people using cloth? Like, because wool and silk, if they burn, give off cyanide gas. That's true, by the way. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought wool would. But yeah, I guess it can. It depends how it's treated and what kind of wool it is, but it is um, possible. So, I, which was fine. I get that. It's yeah. just that I have never seen firemen trying to put out a fire, making it worse. <laughs> it, yeah, it really was like there was like gasoline in the fire hoses. Well, it's almost when they first show up, it's a fire in a closet. And they use the fire hose down the hall. And at one point, they even say, I think Newman himself says, they've got it under control. It as well, they should. We saw the shot. That closet was pretty small. Yeah. The, I was surprised. At, you know, it's like, oh, this must, this must be like a red herring. There's another fire somewhere else. Because no. you could put that out with a bucket. Well, and so they've got this. It, thankfully, there is a fire hose right down the hall where it should be, and it's attached to a pump. It's not something where you have to screw it to something yeah. or get an adapter for the water fountain or something. <laughs> and they get there, and so things seem fine until the fire department shows up, and suddenly it's like, oh, it's under control. It's under control. Well, we've got it. Uh, we better run. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the yeah. hell? I was also surprised to find out that firefighters carry C4 with them. <laughs> that was my next note. <laughs> now, in some ways, I actually can understand that. C4, you would use it to blow open doors. You could use it in case the doors were inaccessible to blow a hole in the wall. And C4 does not react to heat. No. The only way to set it off is with an electrical charge. But does like every firefighter... You saw the size of the block the kid was carrying... He was going to throw a pot with that. <laughs> yeah. My God, you could, that, that had to be like half a pound. That would blow half, that would blow the side of the building off. Yeah. Well, that's okay. They also carry acetylene torches with them too. Apparently, yeah. Um, and then they blow up the, the cement of the, oh no, somebody dumped cement in the hallway. Why is there cement on I the don't know. Yeah, floor? and who thought, hey, you know, I'll just leave this wheelbarrow. No, oh, it's kind of heavy. I'll dump the cement in front of the door. I, and there's a why is it literally not a single sprinkler works? None of them. <laughs> I don't. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Did you also uh, notice this is a PG movie? Mm -hmm. There are only two actual swears in it, and Newman gets one, and McQueen, McQueen, get the other one? McQueen gets the other one. Of course, he they does. divide that up too. <laughs> they both say the S word. Or yeah. They, well, they also come up with the most interesting ways to um, rescue people. So the first thing, and this is very early on in the film, McQueen shows up and they're fighting the fire on 81st floor and it's not doing well. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, I'll come down. And he gets into the elevator literally right next to the fire. Yeah. 
don't they tell you not to do that? They tell you use the stairs. And also, yeah. there only appear to be two staircases in this building. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't <laughs> think... Maybe that's just me, but that sounds... What's the word? Insane? Well, how did this building pass any inspection? Because, sure, you can buy off one or two, but, I mean, seriously. Yeah, come on. That's pretty obvious. It's one thing about, like, oh, coding, uh, wiring, and where the outlets are, but this is staircases. People can see that. Well, also, the north and south staircases are about 50 feet apart. Yeah. How wide is this building? Because you can't build that tall and be that narrow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we also then, so, initially, they're like, everyone take the elevators. Fine, we'll take the elevators, even though we're not supposed to. I know we're 135 floors up, so okay, we'll take the elevators. Sure enough, those stop where they say you can't take the elevators anymore because they're in fire department mode, which is a thing. Yeah. And they're like, don't take that elevator. It's going to literally stop at the 81st floor. Yeah. And that's when you get your shake and bake and I helped because the doors open and everyone. <laughs> the nice thing is, though, that the elevator car returns to the 135th floor yep. so we can see Uncle Owen on a Peru. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, basket, so basket of fries right here. Then we're like, all right, now we have to use the scenic elevator, i.e. the outside one. Okay, and mm. we're going to have to do this only 12 people at a time, so we're going to make little cards with numbers on them and stick the people in them. So I don't know about you, but this crowd is the weirdest mix of, I'm totally panicking! No, I'm fine, I'll stand in yeah. line and wait. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting how the panic never spreads, which no. is really... Not in keeping with reality, because if a few people panic, it spreads almost immediately in a crowd. Well, yeah, there's like five people who go, and everyone else is like, well, I'll just stand here quietly in line. <laughs> I will calmly affix this mask to my face that gives the life-giving o oxygen <laughs> I so often take for granted while yeah, I finish my Sudoku puzzle. adding those things <laughs> off the bulkhead. <laughs> Thank you, Pat Oswald. Yep. Yeah, then they have that, that amazing zip line. And so they somehow they shoot, like you said earlier, they shoot this line <laughs> from a helicopter into the big palatial um, party room. They tie it off to anything they can find, which they suddenly realize doesn't account for much because there's not much in there that's not going to get yanked free. Yeah. And they attach the other end of the line to the nearest skyscraper, which is a good deal shorter. And then they have this... Um, it's a breeches, basket chair. Breeches buoy. Yeah, it's basically a ski lift chair but it's, that can take smaller. one person at a time. There's over 200 people up there. And that's one of the times that I was tense because they put this woman who's basically like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I am not getting on that thing. And they're like, you have number one. You're going. Yeah. They put her in. They put on the seat belt <laughs> and then she said through which we're told very windy conditions down the zip line in a basket made of four pieces of metal yeah. and she pretty much literally screams the entire time and i'm like you know what i totally believe your performance i would totally that I would, would be do. me i'd be screaming my throat would be so raw by the time i got to the other building and then she makes it and I'm yeah like, Oh my and, word, it actually works. Okay. And several other people do. Until, until evil Richard Chamberlain leads yeah. a very, very small rebellion. Yeah. Of and like. You're totally right. All the other people are just like, huh, well, that's weird. Why are they doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that ruins it for everybody yeah. because they. That's why the we chair. can't have nice things. Yeah. So I will say, I would like to ask um, do they just give helicopter pilots licenses to. 
anyone. Because the one that tries to land oh, on the roof boy. is the worst helicopter pilot ever. I'm sorry, can you do I can't do that voice. Can worst you do that? helicopter pilot ever. Thanks. Yeah. Because what happens is he tries to land on the roof. He's coming closer. A couple of people run out, and the helicopter is like, whoa. Oh, back off. No way. I must crash instead into the building. Ah! Yeah, I'm still not sure. Where did all that where did that explosion come from? It's like it erupted out of the stone roof. Yeah. I don't know, but uh, here's the thing. Helicopters, and I know we all, if you've ever been on a helicopter, have you ever been on a helicopter? I have not. I know you have. I have. And it, it, you can't help it. You walk up to the helicopter, you duck. Of course the blades aren't low enough to take anyone's head off. You'd never be able to get out of one. Yeah, you watch but any you footage... You you watch any footage from uh, like the president get any president getting into the helicopter, you know, whatever it's called, Marine One. Yep. They always duck. Andrew Polk, who was like four feet tall, he ducked. I bet, even though they didn't have helicopters then, he would have ducked. But regardless of that, the helicopter literally can't chop anyone's head off. So the yeah. helicopter pilot knows this. So why he decided to veer swiftly into a gas tank, I don't know. But. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the special effects in this film, you mentioned that there's a building and it's a model and yeah. it's, sometimes it's a painting. The big problem and any special effects person who does practical effects, meaning not CG, yeah, knows that there are two things that are always going to cause you problems when trying to depict something that's smaller to make it look bigger. One of them is fire. Yeah. The other is water. Mm. And the fire for the building, for the most part, is okay. Yeah, looks all right. It's Even not from the great. outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, the fire inside looks fine. The outside, the building, the, the model, yeah. much smaller. It looks fine. It's not the most convincing thing in the world, but it's fine. The water tanks, though, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much a case of high on the rapids. <laughs> it's pretty much land of the lost. Yeah. It just does not look in any way convincing. So eh. as we pointed out how long this film is, how they keep pausing. Now we're going to pause for another story. We're going to pause for another story. We're going try to try to make you care for these people. Do you care yet? Do you care yet? Do you care yet? And then when they finally let loose the millions of gall gallons of water which would not have put out the fire because as soon as they came to a floor that had windows broken out, which there were many of, yeah. the water would have just flowed out the building and that would have been the end of that. Yeah, I, that that was like, I remember even watching it and going, that is the dumbest plan I've ever, you think of the water is going to make it down, what, 60 or 70 floors? Yeah. It's going to go down maybe 20 or 30 and it's going to dissipate. Well, and another thing too, the, the fire starts on the 81st floor and we see it, get out of control because the firemen are trying to put it out, I guess. Yeah. But the next time we look outside, the fire is also 15 floors down What's on the 66th with the gap? floor. Yeah, how did... It's like multiple fires have started that we didn't see. Or they ever make note of or yep. in any way focus on. It's just That confused me. But that's okay because later, we know the fire is working its way up, slowly up and up and up. Yeah. Um, it skips... The third, 135th floor, it's 136th floor and 137th floor and goes right to the roof. Well, that's where the best view is. <laughs> so it's like making this fire sandwich <laughs> with no explanation of how it ever got there. Yeah, no idea. Whatever. But um, speaking of those points, we do have some questions sure. that we ask for this series. And I would like to ask this. Um, is the disaster as presented in this film believable? Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's a skyscraper. Skyscrapers can burn. 
I mean, these days, not as likely because they don't use as much. They, it's like, maybe we shouldn't make the carpet flammable. <laughs> oh, is flash paper not good for the wall decoration? Uh, I thought, all right, fine, fine. Fine, we won't soak all the furniture in kerosene. God. I mean, I, whatever the most flammable material is, like, oh, yeah, we took some firewood and we filled the 80, 80th yeah. floor with that. Is that okay? This is Yeah, this is a very flammable building. Yes, everyone here is so flammable. <laughs> Oh, must be French, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, because you do you do realize. First off, yes, people cut a lot of safety corners on in construction. It's absolutely that part's believable. It's certainly believable that they'd have some bad wiring and fires happen in buildings like that. So technically, yes, I'm going to go with no, only because there were way too many things that had to not work for okay. it to take up fifty floors. Hmm. All right, there have been. Certainly have been skyscraper fires. They usually go through like four or five floors. And yes, there are certainly things that have cut safety measures for want of a dollar here and there. But the way that everything, everything, cement in front of the city, really? That was a bit much. Yeah. So I'm going to go with as depicted, I say no. Okay. The idea of it, yes, but the depiction, no. So in that case, is there something that could have been done to make it more believable? Well, yeah, you just you just said so. You know, they could have just taken out a few things, made a few other choices. Yeah, they absolutely could have made this more believable. Yeah, so I agree, too. There had to have been something. Give us something, you know? And I understand if the fire gets to, like, okay, don't take the elevators. And as soon as the fire thing happened and people are starting to go to the elevators, the stairs haven't been compromised. I was amazed. I was sitting there looking at the door that said exit over, and I'm like, why are none of you going down there? Why are you waiting? Yeah. It's like, you're all very calmly standing in line for the other. There's a right there. Staircase, you're, right there. Standing right there. going down. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, um, admittedly, so yeah, I, I would not be in a hurry to try to go down 138 flights of stairs, but as somebody points out, it's down. Yeah, and it's a fire. So, yeah, yeah I'd give it a try. Yep. <laughs> but literally nobody does. Nope. So, yeah, that's, that's what I would do. Um, ooh, we are getting towards that point yep. where we have to decide if this is a good movie or not. Max, do you have any more points you'd like to get to before no, no, we No, no, I think we that? can move on. The finish. So, Max. Yeah. This was the first time, first time you've seen The Towering Inferno. Yes. What were your expectations going in? I wasn't expecting much. I mean, we'd already seen Poseidon Adventure. We'd already we had got an idea what Erwin Allen was was capable of, and uh, I just thought it was it was going to be kind of another dopey earthquake like disaster movie. Before you uh, watched it, um, did you know how long it was going to? <laughs> well, yeah, I did. Oh, I didn't. I, it wasn't until I actually opened the file, and it's like, it's how long? <laughs> <laughs> no, I looked at it before. It's like, oh, really? Because huh? I wanted to make sure I set aside enough time. Well, and I desperately hoped. It's like, maybe maybe it, the film got duplicated somehow, and it's actually <laughs> only half that long. Uh-huh. No, it's... A lot um, of these disaster porn movies are very long. Yeah, you ain't kidding. So yeah. what did you think of The Towering Inferno? For what it was, which was a 70s disaster movie, it's fine. It gives you what you want. It gives you a lot of big names. It gives you a lot of people in jeopardy. It gives you uh, some dramatic, intense moments. For its time, I think it was a, 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 a success, a pretty well-done disaster flick. Looking at it now, it's kind of hard. to. It's not very interesting. 
Mm. I mean, there is there's still some tension, and it's fun to play. Oh, it's that guy. Mm -hmm. But it is very long, and it feels very long. Yeah. What What about um, you? You know, having listened to what you just said, I guess I am going to give it that 70s pass, i.e. for the time, 1974. So, and I think one of the best things that illustrates the 70s in this film is that stupid song. Because yeah. it is just so, un it's so 70s variety We show, may never love like this again. <laughs> just as uh, loving lovers love. <laughs> loving lovely. <laughs> Um, and it's in its very seventies ness ishness. Yeah. Uh, it is honestly, it feels very TV movie. I said we'd get back to this. We have certain actors that don't tend to do films as much as they do TV, like Robert Vaughn, Robert Wagner. Maybe it's the name Robert. Hmm. <laughs> that must be is it. Taking it, Robert Reed. Yeah, oh, but we've Lord. also got serious movie stars in it. We do, and some of them are at that point in their career where you're probably going to be seeing them do TV movies. Uh -huh. Like Fred Astaire, like yeah. Juliet Jones, like, honestly, um, um, what's his name, the, the main guy there? William Holden? <sighs> Thank you. Very handsome. He is not at the height of his career. This does not mean he's not a skilled actor and does not mean he can't play the part and doesn't do it well, but he's at that point where he's not getting parts, and you, so you might think of seeing him on TV. Yeah. And even though it's got that wide angledness to it, just felt, let's face it, it's Irwin Allen. His past is in TV. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that. This, despite the scale of the building, as you say, most of the scenes are shot in a room. Yeah. And it doesn't feel very, the, the whole building itself actually feels rather small. It feels kind like, of claustrophobic. It should be a much bigger footprint to go that tall. It just should. Um, one of my notes, for example, with was, with excruciating dullness, Paul Newman escapes the fire. Um, <laughs> and that's what it is. There's scenes of him crawling around, and it's just like, yeah, okay, oh, sure, whatever. Oh, look, it's deep. He should not fall through. It's Paul Newman. He's not going anywhere. It's fine. Yeah. So in its time, it obviously did very well. It was a big event. You know, it made $200 yeah. million dollars off of $14 million. So who am I to say? But I would say that our modern audience is not going to watch this. No. And if this is a film, and I'm going to guess your answer on this, but if this is a film that we happen to pass while flipping through channels, are you going to watch it? No, I don't think so. Yeah, me either. There's not any single point. It takes place at night, too, which is understandable, but it makes things very dark, and it's not very interesting yeah, to look visually at. Visually, it becomes kind of uniform, especially when, they're, when they do the outside shots. It's also, to be fair, one of, the thing, one of the things that I think can make disaster porn more successful, it's not very fun. There's nothing no. at all fun. Like, ID4 is fun. Now, yeah. of course, watching tens of thousands of people die, yeah. maybe it shouldn't be fun. <laughs> it should be, but it's impressive. Yeah. You know, and it's exciting. And, and this is not. Is more, this yeah. is just not. Not, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. They can't all be... Um, Geostorm. Oh, <laughs> I just wanted to use the effect. But we have a poll question that we would like you to yes. answer. What was your favorite Hollywood actor comeback? Who disappeared from Tinseltown Radar for years, then just popped right back into the stardom of your heart? And you can let us know directly through email at us at maxmikemovies.com, which suggests, we, of course, we do have a website with all of our episodes where you can leave comments, suggestions, rebuttal, whatever. And that is maxmikemovies.com. You can go to our one and only social network 
place on the internet, which is, of course, Facebook, and we're Max Mike Movies. Last of all, if you like a podcast app, and who doesn't, we're there too as Max Mike Movies. But we are everywhere. Everywhere, even in your underwear. Yep, so this but has been a great series, and I'm not sad to see it come to a close. Next week, we're going to start a Max, brand... Max, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Uh, we have one more film, Max. We've done seven. This is the seventh. We have one no, more. No, no, this was eight. Eight. Eight, Max. This, this you was eight. eight. There were no I more. started the series. You're we're not doing another movie it. in this. Yes, we Mike, are, we're not. Max. We're really... Yes, we Don't are. make we me do it. to do it. Max? Uh, Max, what movie are we going to end our series on disaster porn with? We're going to watch Poseidon Adventure again. No, we're uh, not. ID4 again. Nope. <sighs> Say it. You know what it is. I won't. Yes, you, you will. You can't make me. You can't make me. You can't make me. Baum? We're going to watch Moonfall. <laughs> yes, you... be- because we have seen... The oceans rise against us. We have seen the earth rise against us. We have seen architecture try to kill us. But what is that mortal enemy that man has struggled against our whole existence? The moon. It's coming <laughs> to get us. And we're coming to watch it. So next We're going to watch that moon. And next watch week, it fall. watch as we moon you with Moonfall here on Max Mike Movies. God forgive us all. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. Thank you.